Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, good evening, everybody. Uh, this is the producer from Brothers Comics. Uh, tonight, we have the honor of chatting with writer, director, Lexi Alexander. Uh, you might be familiar with her work as a director. Um, from Limitless, Arrow, Supergirl. She's actually an Oscar-nominated director for a short friend, Johnny Clinton. Um, and we are just honored to get a chance to talk to her tonight. And if you do not follow Lexi on Twitter, you are missing out on one of the top ten Twitter follows. Um, so welcome, Lexi. How are you? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was a really kind introduction. Um, I'm <laughs> well, good. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Like I said, I know you're super busy. You said you were writing earlier today, so uh, I'm just going to get through it. I'm going to have one daughter from uh, one question from my daughter, and a little bit later I'll let her ask it. Uh, she's nine. That sounds so. good. As you can oh. see, I get pulled into Twitter more away from writing than anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I interacted with you a couple times already today. Um, yeah, Twitter can <laughs> yeah. get you into a dark hole sometimes and a uh, hard time to get out. It's a writer's nightmare, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so your path to, like, award nominee or nominated director is kind of unique. How did you go from kickboxing champion and karate champion to director? Um, well, there was a time where for martial artists who were competing on an international level and, you know, made a little bit of a name for themselves, there was really not much for us to do other than, uh, join, um, you know, either the stunt world or like the Hollywood B-movie world. At the time I came to America, you know, we really still had those kind of straight-to-video B-movies that, you know, Don the Dragon Wilson would star in and, you know, uh, Cynthia Rothrock, like just a really kind of martial arts fair. Um, right. And so that kind of was the goal and people suggested it to me and they said, oh, you should become like the female chocolate Van Damme and you know I thought okay well what what's better than coming to America and trying that but I hated acting I mean I really hated acting <laughs> but I did I did enjoy the drama school that people sent me to I was in this really strict acting school and I realized you know what I should be doing is directing because I do enjoy making the movies I just don't like being in front of the camera okay so you get a chance to make that short Johnny Clinton and it winds up getting nominated for an Oscar. Correct. Was there, was there pressure, like what's next or now what after you get nominated for an Oscar? Yeah, I mean, I knew that. I, I, I really laid out a career plan. Um, you know, I, I had to figure out how to break in because I don't come from a rich family, uh, on the contrary. Uh, so I had to really, you know, there wasn't any fancy film school I could go to or anything like that. So I read every book of how other directors made it that didn't go to film school. And one one part, like one path that seemed to have worked for some were uh, short films. But I also knew that you have to have something to follow up. So I had the script for my second uh, film, like for a, a, an actual feature film. I had that already developed. 
um, while, you know, shooting the short film. I knew, I mean, that was kind of common knowledge that you had to have something in your back pocket if the short film actually gained success and you have some eyes on you that you should have something to bring out. And so then I made this movie called Green Street Hooligans. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty good feature for me because it won a lot of awards and got me kind of a lot of street credits in, in Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty much it. So that opened up some doors from the, sec- from the second feature, from that feature. Did that also start to introduce you to the kind of the old boys network in Hollywood? Yeah, I mean, that was the interesting part because what it should have done, that film, for as many prizes that it has won and, and for as much critical acclaim it's gotten, it should have actually opened every door. Um, you know, there were things, people would say these things to me like, oh, if Guy Ritchie would have made this movie, he would be on three blockbusters already. And, and at the beginning, to be honest, I didn't know what people were talking about. I was fairly naive because, you know, having grown up in martial arts um, all my life, like being on the circuit and competing and traveling, you know, obviously in Europe, not in America, but we would also come to America. And it just seemed always such a, um, I mean, it was a real diverse environment. There were certainly more men than than women, but um, it was diverse. A lot of immigrants, like, you know, I'm obviously I'm Arab, so... Um, you know, it, you met Turkish kids there, and there was it wasn't like um, an all-white sport. Tennis was an all-white sport because, right. you know, no no kid in Germany who doesn't have the money could afford to play tennis. But martial arts wasn't, and so I grew up fairly protected of any kind of old boys network, and I was very respected by the men in martial arts for my martial arts fights and performances. So it seemed odd to me that such a liberal place as Hollywood, I would, I would find this prejudice in so many ways. And to be honest, I wasn't really, you know, woke to it. Like I, I had no clue. It took me a long time to realize what's happening and why I'm not moving forward. What does that look like initially? Just a lot of pitches that don't go through or the Yeah, common, I mean, yeah, how that look? Yeah. I had, for example, I, you know, I obviously knew what to do next. And when I studied what to do next, when I studied a career path, I, I only had uh, old white dudes to learn from because that's who had made it. You know, it never occurred to me that there wasn't anybody else because of prejudice. I just thought, okay, you just have the Soderbergh and Spielberg and Tarantino and Lucas. Like, those are the books that I read. But honestly, it never occurred to me when I read that, that there that it's different for them than for me. But then, you know, the next path would be, I did everything by the book. And I had that first feature. I had the first short film that was nominated for an Oscar. I had the first feature that got so much critical acclaim and won so many prizes. And and so then the next step would have been, I, for example, picked up the rights and talked the owner of the rights of a book called The Never Ending Story. Um, yes. I talked him, yeah, I talked him into giving me the rights. And and I had big enough agents once I had the rights to pitch my version of it um, to every studio. And I did, and it didn't go. And, like, you know, I interviewed for every um, – we have these things called open director assignments, which are basically scripts. They, they're studio movies that will be done, but they haven't found a director. And I interviewed for any movie that you can imagine, any action film you've seen in the last 10 years, I probably interviewed for it. And wow. I would never, ever – booked a job and 
it just seemed so mysterious. You know, I then kept thinking, well, maybe I'm just simply not good enough. But then, you know, things would happen like I would see when I saw the movie that they used a, a, a note of mine that I gave, like a suggestion that I gave. And this doesn't only happen to me. This happens to a lot of people. Um, but it's just like I never got the, to the other side of it. And it was then Punisher Warzone, the comic book movie, that was a straight offer to me at some point. Well, they did want somebody else, a guy who was too expensive for them. And it was a job that not that many people were excited about because obviously it was the third remake of a movie. And um, finally they offered it to me. And frankly, it wasn't actually the right thing for me because I wasn't that familiar with that with that character and um it really, if you look at my previous work, it wasn't even in the same vein, you know. Right. But uh, my agent said, look, this is the only job you have, you know, on the table. This is the only offer you have. Like, you have to actually make something because it's been a couple of years. And that's how I came about making Punisher, you know. Now, what was that experience like? And I've read some interviews with you before that. Did Lionsgate produce that? Yeah. And Marvel okay. together. Okay, Lionsgate and Marvel. Now, were you getting notes, like, from Marvel about the movie? Did you have to submit dailies about it, or did they keep their hands off? No, Marvel gave notes, and Lionsgate gave notes, and they had a script. They had hired, by the time I came on, they had hired the third team of writers. You know, but I have to tell you, like, it wasn't the process of making it was not um, really harsh. They did let me do my version uh, of the film, and by the way, that wasn't really my version as much as it, I stayed very strictly to the script as well as to the comic book. Um, yeah. I tried to adapt the comic book as as closely as I could because when I did my research and checked what fans didn't like about the previous film, it was that it was too far from the darkness of the Garth Ennis series and that kind of stuff. So I I tried to really please the fans. I thought the best I can do is you know, stay as close to the source material as possible. And I did, and they let me do that. It was more in the aftermath where I think they were still confused about what this R-rated genre is. Um, right. You know, they re released it in the wrong month. They they invited the wrong critics to the screenings. Um, you know, they basically screened it like it was Dark Knight for the mainstream critics rather than calling opinion makers in the comic book world and in the kind of genre world that knew what this was. Um, right. So they made many mistakes, but of course, you know, I ended up being the fall guy for all these mistakes, you know. Right. Now, that was 2008? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, now, now I, I, I didn't, my kids were really young at that time, so I wasn't going to movies. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> I saw it later on, actually, sometime after, like, Pat and Oswald had picked it up and it started pumping it off, and I wound up catching it a little bit after that. You know, I mean, you can right. look at it almost panel to panel, like, from, from some of the Marvel Knights books for Punisher, like, where you can see scenes that were literally lifted from the comic into it. So, you know, for me as a comic book fan, I was like, oh, I can exactly see what's going on here. But, yeah, all, almost everybody. I mean, almost, I mean, the panels, you were right. I had them up on my website for a while. I lifted everything exactly from the comic books. Right. Right. And, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, so it winds up not being a critical or a financial success. How does that affect you first personally and then professionally? Well, personally, I, I mean, I was not as 
um, you know, I wasn't hurt because I I didn't think I made a bad movie. And I, and whenever you read the reviews from the time, I mean, there was one guy from San Francisco who wrote that I should go to prison for my violent fantasy that I put in this film. And, you know, I was laughing about that because obviously he had no idea um, that this was based on a source material that I, I mean, this, this didn't come from my imagination. I wish I would have right. this imagination, you know. <laughs> But you could kind of see that they were off. They just didn't know what this was. And um, so I didn't, um, I didn't care personally. Obviously, what affected me personally, I knew instantly that I would be in director's chair. Um, you know, for, for people of color and women, um, they cannot afford to have a box office failure. Unlike, you know, white male directors, they will not get a second chance, you know. And um, I, knew, I knew that this would... Um, you know, it would be hard to 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 really come out of director's jail. Mm-hmm. Now, director's jail meaning that you made a, a something that didn't wasn't successful, and then it kind of put you in the corner. Yeah, that that's basically said to directors who had a box office failure, who do, then end up getting no work anymore. It's very familiar to us in the industry. Um, you know that uh, the kind of like we we call it that because you literally locked up like nobody will touch you and that's just is and and for some the term is longer than others and you know for a lot of you know white dudes it becomes more like okay you don't get to do the big fancy you know 300 million dollar movie anymore but you get to do this young adult movie and see if you can like uh you know redeem yourself but we don't yeah. get the, these kind of chances we there's just just no no net for us because it's so right. odd that one of us breaks in that um you know we just don't have that kind of security net yeah that director's jail uh it, it it's so funny cuz that it, it, that extends to white male actors as well where they can take chances and make bombs yet still are able to star in features uh continuously sometimes Unbelievable! It's unbelievable. Like I, I, when I just looked the other day at this poster somebody made um, of all the superheroes that have been played by different people, and you know how it's all white people, and how some of the white male actors literally got to try it out three times. Like they, right. they could play a superhero and completely fail at it, and then get to do it again and again. And I, I'm just, I'm stunned by this. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. We're looking at you, Ryan Reynolds. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't going to drop his name, but yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. Mean, I, yeah. I mean, we. I. I see that all the time. I mean, I'm. I'm African American. I don't know if I told you that. And you know, one of the things that we talk about on our website and on our podcast is that so many opportunities that are not there for women or people in color. That if you get the opportunity, the 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 line is so thin that if you fail, you may never hear from that person again. And it, it's incredible. And even if you are yeah. successful sometimes, oftentimes the industry doesn't know what to do with that particular person to push them to the next level. You know, we t- we've had this long discussion about Lupita, that such a great actress, such a beautiful woman, yet Who? it seems like Hollywood doesn't know what to do with her. Who is that? Lupita. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Why, why, why is she not in every movie after she won an Oscar? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, to 
Yeah, Megalyn is another one who plays Vixen uh, on Era, where I'm like, yeah. why is she not getting her own show? You know, but let's talk about somebody else. And uh, I'm, I just thought about that today as I was driving home. I, I take this martial arts class, and um, uh, I have private lessons. And then the student who comes after me, who also has private lessons, is Wesley Snipes. And so mm-hmm. I was thinking as I, as I kind of passed him in the in the hallway of, of the school and, you know, I thought about it and I thought like, you know, the, he should get all the credit because Blake was great, but Blake started everything. Like yeah. it started the entire genre of comic book movies and he did well with them. And right. I thought like, you know, if he was a white guy, like where would he be? Like people right. would not let go of him. They they would put him in everything and just overwork him and give him everything. He would already be running half a studio and, and produce <clears throat> ten shows, because like look at what the man did, you know. And um, he's utterly charismatic. He's a great actor. He's physical as you wouldn't believe. So it's it's uh, it's strange to me that you know George Clooney can fuck up Batman and Robin and it doesn't hurt his career and he'll become almost like a mini studio in Hollywood, but. Wesley Snipes barely gets credit for what he's done yeah. to the comic book genre, you know? Right. He struggles to find work at times now. Yeah. Well, I think he's fair. I, I keep hearing, and I have to ask him, um, I keep hearing he's going to have a TV show, which would delight me. Like, I would really love it if um, he has, especially now in the time of, like, great comic book-based uh, uh, TV shows. And you know, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, that'd be great. Wow. Yeah. All right, so now Punisher Warzone, it goes on, but now Punisher is back in the news already because of um, the Daredevil Netflix series. Have you had a chance to watch that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, I like it. Do you it. like it? I mean, it, look, I mean, yeah, a- I, like, I like the Punisher part uh, in season two. I like the Punisher part a lot more than the Daredevil part for some reason, and that may just be me. Um, but I, I I didn't really get into the ninja like it's it just like I kept fast forwarding it and I, all I wanted to see is the Punisher. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I liked this part a lot. I liked um, God, you know, when he walked into that uh, trial, you know, and, yeah. and the music to it, and like God, and he's he's that that actor is a great fucking actor, and he makes a yeah, great yeah. Punisher. And I love everything about it. Like, if anything, it just bothered me in this season is that um, I, I almost felt bothered by the rest of the whatever was going on that didn't involve him. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted it just to be done with, you know, and I don't know why I disconnected so much, even with Elektra, which, who I really want to love, but I did not connect with her in this one, which was odd. Right. Did you see some similarities between their Punisher and Punisher Warzone? I did. Well, a lot of, I mean, it's hard, you know, I don't want to say that publicly. I, I think it's, it's, it's great that so many people publicly have seen it. And I saw that John Berntal, actually, Patton Oswald, of course, has not stopped tweeting about the fact how many similarities there are. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at some point he said something about, um, he tweeted something about, um, you know, like, okay, now we need a Punisher series and Lexi needs to direct it. And then John Berntal actually liked the tweet. So that was a very interesting kind of Twitter connection going on there, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I like I said, I started watching it and um, as I got through the first few episodes, I'm like, this parts of this seem awful familiar. You know, in a good way, <laughs> not like in a bad way. I'm like, but this seems very familiar. And um 
Yeah, I I I just saw the the major similarities between the two. Um, and you know, I'm I'm very honored by that. But but there's something to be said, like you know, like you know, like come on, you can't just be you know, it's an homage. But like, why would you not call me out at least for they should have. They should have just called me to come and direct an episode in season two yeah. already. <laughs> exactly. and, and probably, you know, maybe I wouldn't have even had time for it. But, like, don't just steal from somebody who's out there. I'm not dead, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, like an additional uh, additional credit, too, as you roll through those credits at the end. Like, you know, something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I mean, you know, and if... If you're just doing it like, oh, we take it, but yeah, we 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 don't even say it out loud, and you know that's the great thing about comic book fans because they're not stupid. Like, I mean, everybody, even people who don't like me, like wrote about it and said, okay, well, obviously, you know, that was lifted, you know. Now, how did you start to go from directing features to to TV series? Was that a planned career move? No, I had tried to get into a TV for a long time, but believe it or not, it's actually a lot harder than um, than movies because movies you can still, like movies, you know, at some point you're a new filmmaker and you're breaking in with something. But to actually have made movies and to break into TV, um, they don't trust you. They think you can't handle the schedule and the budget. And TV was much more of like you talking about like, you know, exclusively all men, all white country club, that's TV, especially in directing, because they almost like perks these jobs. Um, because, you know, it, yeah, do, doing, you know, it's funny. I mean, it, it's becoming slightly different because now the directors have more responsibility. But for the longest time, the directors in TV have no responsibility whatsoever. They don't really get to do much and decide much because it's all like a writer's medium. The showrunner decides everything. Um, so they don't get to be the big boss, but they also don't take the responsibility if the show fails. And so, you know, if for directors for the longest time, it was kind of an easy gig you can do while you're writing or in between movies. Um, but unfortunately, as those easy gigs kind of go, guess who they don't go to? Women and people of color. And so... Right. So it's it, it it was really hard. I mean, this whole I don't know if you heard about it, but there's a whole government uh, investigation now going on into the dis- discrimination in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. they actually have focused much more on TV because it's so much more obvious. So I had already given up. I had given up on trying and getting to TV, and then somebody from the Berlanti group called me in and said, well, we would really love for you. We love Punisher Warzone and we think you should do an arrow. And that's how it started. But even I took the meeting thinking, oh, this is going to be one of those meetings where um, I have the meeting, but they won't really hire me. Um, But in this case, it so happened that it worked well for me. And then they loved it so much that they instantly hired me for Supergirl and we went from there. Uh, now, how does the um, like? Do you go in with a pitch for those types of meetings, or they have everything all plotted out? Like, how does that work? No, TV is so different. Like, you're pitching nothing, and and literally they hire you at the beginning of the season, and they put you on an episode. And this is kind of it's a little bit sad about TV because, you know, I think sometimes when I see on Twitter, people assume that I was given a certain episode because it had a fight or it had this. And this is not like that in in, uh, TV at all. They put any director who can direct on any episode. 
that's why it's it very often I could come on an episode and like the one before me was full of fights and people like why didn't you do the one before and <laughs> and, and, you know, right. and I think the same thing and oftentimes it's actually uh, people think the same uh, you know they they feel this is like people involved in the in the directing feel the same way but there's nothing we can do it's like I said like we're really not that important in TV. Right. Do you? So you don't get a chance to, there's like no storyboarding with you or the plot? No, nothing. No, you barely get the script. Uh, like if you're lucky on a good, well-run show, you get it, you know, like uh, a few days before the episodes, before your prep begins. But sometimes you're on shows where you don't even get it. Like you, you three days into prep and um, you're just now getting your script. And you have no input on... Um, you know, any kind of like I can't just say and say like, oh, why don't we do this instead? Like the writers, the writers are the the big bosses in TV. Okay, that's that's Greg Berlanti. He does like Arrow, Supergirl. He's doing Archie in the fall. I saw, um, and that's all of him, right? Yeah, yeah. He is the big uh, kahuni when it comes to, um, you know, uh, what you call it, comic book kind of properties. All right, my daughter's going to ask this next question, so go ahead. Yes. She's nine. Go ahead. What What's your name? First of all, wait a minute. Can I know your name first? Rosalia. Rosalia, that's a beautiful name. Thank you. Okay, go ahead and ask your question. What was it like directing Supergirl or a lead with a female hero? Oh, that was the best thing ever because I will, I've never been able to do it. and. Um, you know, I I actually didn't realize that I had never directed or choreographed a fight with a female hero. And so I just noticed it on the day. We were already out there. And I, I, uh, I turned to Melissa and I said, oh, my God, this is the first time I'm going to work with a female hero. And so it was, like, very um, empowering for both of us that um, – that we finally could make this happen. And so we put extra effort in it, especially especially her. She's a really, really hardworking extra, um, actress. She was a dancer before, and she doesn't complain at all. It was really cold that night, and it was really late. Um, and yet she kept doing it and doing it and over, over, over again until it was perfect. That's outstanding. Awesome. Thank you for that. Thank you, Rosalia. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rosalia. Welcome. All right. Um, now, so now that Supergirl is, it got renewed for a second season, did you watch Jessica Jones on Netflix as well? I did indeed, yes. I love Jessica Jones. Yeah, that was great too. That's super successful. We get the Wonder Woman movie next year, uh, Captain Marvel mm-hmm. in a couple of years. Do you think that we're going to see more female heroes like on the big and little screen moving forward? Um, I hope so. I hope so. You know, I'm really rooting for Vixen to become its own show. I think that's important. Um, I would love to see Kamala Khan as well, being, you know, Arab myself. I would love to see, you know, a slightly more variety of, if we are getting them, it would be nice if they wouldn't all be blonde and blue eyed. Um, um, but you know, we, we are pushing for all of it. And, um, I think that as long as people make noise about it, uh, you know, we will make it happen. Right. Yeah, I just, you know, I oftentimes wonder, is TV like the best place to start and then you kind of move up? But, I mean, TV's been around forever as well as film. 
and it just seems like TV is more diverse, but you're telling me, like, even still behind the director's chairs or whatever, it's still not diverse. Yeah, it it isn't in terms of the crew. Um, it's still it's still not that diverse. But I I have to say, TV is getting a lot better. I mean, it's certainly better than movies because of people like Shonda Rhimes and there's right. there's uh, you know, I forget his name right now, the showrunner of American Crime. Like we have some powerful people in TV who make a lot of money. Um, you know, and I feel like as long as they make a lot of money, um, it becomes this thing where I think TV is now not looking at us anymore as we're just like the bench players, the not so good people, you know, like they're mm-hmm. looking at people like Shonda Rhimes and realize that, you know, she is a Michael Jordan, like she will make money for, for the studio and, and, and not little money. And so I think they are a lot more open. You know, we still could do a lot better. And also in terms of, like, encouraging, um, you know, I, I always, you know, that, that saying, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I feel like we now have to also encourage the younger generations to really, like, you know, think about that as a dream. Yeah, I, I always ask this question um, of, like, kind of people that write, like people of color that wind up writing, does it only feel like, at least in Hollywood, that they will only hire people of color or women to direct features with people of color or women? Because, like, Coogler got Black Panther, which is great, but it's not like he was in contention to direct, like, Thor or Guardians of the Galaxy or Iron Man. Like, do you think that that's, that it's a limited That's an interesting box? question. That's an interesting question. I wonder if they would have ever contacted him for Thor. You know, um, you know, I look at John Singleton. Uh, you know, I was up for a movie once called Four Brothers, and it was right after Green Street. And John yeah, Singleton got, and, and yeah, John Singleton got that uh, instead of me, which I was kind of glad about because, you know, I thought, you know, look, that's a movie with four white dudes. Um, <laughs> you know, and I kind of felt really happy that 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 went to a black director. You know, um, you know, so I. I don't know if they wouldn't have considered Ryan Ryan Kugler for any of this. I think that what's happening now is that uh, social media has given us a microphone to complain about things. And let me tell you something. There was no way black Twitter would have let a white guy uh, direct Black Panther. <laughs> and rightly so. And, and rightly so. I mean, that would have been the biggest outrage. And, you know, they had to make a choice at some point because there's also – not that many to choose from, basically because we didn't let any in forever. I mean, they really, right. even sometimes when they talk about women and action directors, you know, although I don't really believe that because sometimes they let guys direct action who don't know anything about action. But with women, it's always, well, there is no women action directors. And so usually my name comes up and Catherine Bigelow. And so when right. you only have like a small group, it beca- and now your company is actually under pressure to hire from that group. It becomes difficult. So they, I think they had to put him on that movie for his own sake. But I think Ryan will, will you know, get plenty of opportunities that have, you know, that, that are not necessarily, he won't only be making uh, black movies, I'm, I'm certain. Okay. Now, I've said it at the introduction, you're a must-follow on Twitter. Honestly, is it a daily thing where you get, you know, kind of the anti-women, mansplaining 
like rants on your on your timeline? And when did you decide to make the decision to go after the trolls as opposed to ignoring them? I don't. I mean, I go only after like three percent of them. Okay. <laughs> There's so many that people don't realize. I mean, I, it probably looks to people like I'm going after all of them, but you have no idea. First right. of all, I have um, an like I have three auto block apps that like they block everything. They block any kind of troublemaker, any kind of new account, people who don't have more than 15 followers. Like they block so many people that most of my family members who start Twitter are blocked immediately. <laughs> this, this is how funny. Then I am, I'm now verified, so I have a quality filter, which means that anybody who, uh, you know, like sometimes they, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how it decides this filter, but I don't see a lot of like comments. Like it, it makes decisions on what they should show me or not. And I guess right. they try to like filter out any abuses. So, so imagine just based on that, still stuff comes through and I ignore at least 80% of it. But sometimes I go over and I tell you why, because at a certain point, at one point I did that. And, you know, also imagine I grew up in a boxing ring and in a martial arts dojo with guys around me. Like, I mean, I, there, there's not much that scares me and you can't really bully me, you know. Sure. <laughs> so so I, at some point I started like giving back and, and, you know, responding. And what happened was it was very curious because suddenly I got these messages from very, very young girls who, who they wouldn't say it publicly, but they sent me private messages saying that, I, you know, they're so grateful they follow me because uh, they feel empowered by the way I fight back with these guys and, mm. you know, that it gives them kind of like... For them, it, they had never seen it. It was all about this talk about Gamergate and victims and people who had to close their Internet account. And they constantly saw women on the Internet as victims. And suddenly they saw this other person who was like, well, please come. Let's go then. You know, let's see how far you get. And um, that once I started realizing that they had nobody that did that, they saw nobody doing that. I started doing it more often. But to be honest, I also have a job. I mean, I, I try to be honest about it. Like, it's not even always me running my account, you know, sure. um, because, because I work, you know. I mean, most of the time, and people can usually sense when it's me and when it's not me. But, you know, being a professional in this industry and having a Twitter account that you kind of need to put stuff out there, it takes a team, you know. Right. Okay. And I saw your tweet with um, Effie Brown today. Everybody knows about the the Project Greenlight conversation with Matt Damon. Honestly, how often does a conversation like that happen down at like happen at a pitch meeting? All the time, all the time. Yeah. This is what we talked about yesterday. Because this conversation, it was so lucky that this was caught on camera, and and it was so interesting to see that all the white people involved didn't think it would be a problem. And right. they, they, she actually flagged it and said, you should cut this out, it's going to be a problem. And they didn't think there was anything wrong with it. So this is how far... That's not a surprise. And, yeah, and, and, you know, I said to her, I, I said, how many times have you had this conversation? How many times did this happen to you? And she said, all the time. And I say, too, it still happens to me all the time. And this is after people know about the Matt Damon thing. But it happens to us all the time still. 
They know better about everything. They know better about diversity. You can't tell them anything about it. And this is some of the most diverse-minded, inclusive-minded people. There's just something about this issue where they feel that if they give an inch, if they for one second admit that you know more than them, that suddenly that makes them a racist. Like they always feel like you're calling them a racist. And it drives me nuts. Yeah, and it's that fear of being called a racist or actually being called out for being or doing something racist that drives them to not do anything. And, you know, I, I speak about this all the time about, you know, this idea that like, oh, well, I'm colorblind or I don't see color. And that's the biggest lie ever told by man is that it, there's no way that you can't see it. And people make decisions based on it all the time, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you, you're going to do that. And people can't see their own like prejudice in front of their faces sometimes. And it'll, spark them to do the most ridiculous things and they still can't see it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's, this is the, the biggest uh, mystery we have to solve because, you know, it's one of those things we even have proven that, you know, the more diverse a movie is, the more money it makes. We have proven all these things. And I think deep down inside, they, all these companies want to be diverse, but there's such a bad it's almost like a, a bad thing to learn about, a bad thing. Like all the diversity people, executives that get hired, all get treated bad at the companies. It is not a thing that is like, I wish we would embrace it as a popular thing. Like somebody like Effie Brown should be embraced. It should like be all the companies should be courting her because she is like the diversity whisperer. She knows what to do right and what not to do. But instead, we get the opposite. Like everybody who speaks about it, is suddenly um, under risk not to be hired, you know? Yeah, and they and they're, there's just that fear, and they don't want to, you know, with the money that's at risk, they don't want to take a chance. And it's always funny that I think that when a white filmmaker or a white actor takes a chance, you know, they do something different that's outside of the mold, they'll do something, and they'll get praised. Even if it fails, they'll get praised for, you know, being avant-garde, to taking risks, to doing that and then yet still get another chance to go back and make, you know, Transformers 7. But if yeah. a woman or a person of color does that and it fails, or you try to break out of a racial ethnic stereotype or gender stereotype, then it's like, well, we can't take chances on that. We're not going to finance that. Or even if they do, they won't put the full backing of the studio behind it and promote it properly. And, it, you know, and it winds up floating and failing out on its own. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a hard wall to bring down, you know. I mean, we're certainly trying. You know, the best thing that could have happened to us is things like the thing you and I are doing now, like because before social media, there wasn't a way for us to connect. We all right. kind of sat into our own rooms, and either we had friends who liked comic book movies or liked movies or, or didn't. Now we, we're becoming more powerful. Um, you know, I'd like us to use that in a black Twitter does it really well. Um, you know, other minority groups like my own, like, you know, there's no Arab Twitter. Fuck, we can't. Oh, sorry, I should be cursing when your daughter's listening. It's okay. No, she's already left the room. It's okay. okay. We, we can't get along. Uh, you know, Arabs can't get along for two minutes on any subject, unfortunately. So, so other, other groups either, like, all of a sudden get jealous because, you know, there's, there's such a... If we would all stick together, all the people marginalized, and we would, like, go at this, uh, you know, organized, we would already bring them down. But, you know, that's the thing about oppression, you know. There's a, 
divide and conquer. I mean, there's so many strategies, you know, strategic things you're fighting against that it just takes time, you know. Right. Right. Is there any project that you would hope to do or you've been, you know, you kind of have or certain characters or show that you'd like to work on? Um. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I'm I'm always saying it that um, I was actually up for an episode of Luke Cage, but didn't get it. So somebody else got it, I guess. Um, and I was very sad about that. I'm hoping we can fix that next year and whatever I have to do, I just have to be, I guess, better in the interview. <laughs> okay. um, so I'm still going out on these things. Um, I just... Um, you know, agreed to do a movie, which I can't really talk about, but you'll probably see me announcing it next next week. So that was just something that came my way. And then I'm, I'm you know, writing something finally for, I've promised it for a long, long time, but I've always wanted to do this martial arts, big, big martial arts film, and I'm finally sitting down and writing it. And if Twitter doesn't distract me too much, it will hopefully <laughs> be done soon. Awesome. All right, then last question. Uh, yeah. Batman versus Superman opened this weekend. Did you get a chance to see it? I did not. I mean, I actually wanted to, but then once all the arguing started, yeah. uh, <laughs> I actually didn't at all because, you know, there was a weird thing because somebody said something very interesting uh, today on Twitter and said, you know, how is it possible that so many people go knowing that they're going to see a bad film? And I think right. that's interesting because, you know, it's one thing to say as a comic book fan, I need to go see it for myself. Because I think a lot of my friends do that, and I think that's the right thing to go. But other people went. Like, they just basically knew. I mean, we can't get people into any movies, any good movies, you know. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but yet they, they're like people who are not comic book fans um, and who now know that it's a bad movie or that it's, it's got like a collective bad review still went just so they could go back on Twitter and say, it really is the most horrible thing ever. And right. I thought, I'm, I can't be part of that. You know, I basically, <laughs> on some of the reviews that I've read from people that I trust, I knew that it, it, I would be bothered by certain things. And um, so I didn't go because I said, I don't want to be part of that group that goes to confirm that it really is as bad as they said it is, you know. Okay. Well, we I saw it, I guess, Thursday night. Um, as a comic book fan and a comic book movie fan, it's really mm -hmm. kind of a middle-of-the-road movie. That's, that's basically what I could say. And you could see how it draws, like, heat on both sides, the people that are going to defend it to the end, that they love it, and they're going to say that, you know, Zack Snyder did this wonderful job, and you just don't understand it because, you know, fill in the blank, or the other side of people like, you know, I hate it. You don't understand what Zack Snyder did to these characters. And you just have this huge polarizing movie, which I'm fairly certain that's not what DC wanted because they already did that with Man of Steel. And right. I, I think they were hoping to have, you know, at least the scales tip to the other side a little bit. Um, but it, it's generated quite the shitstorm on Twitter. Um <laughs> But, you know, I mean, they're happy because, look, they've never had that many people. There's free marketing for them. You know, they've yeah. never had that many people talking about the film. I think it would be worse um, if people wouldn't be talking about it. And so, trust me, they're super happy. Um, yeah. Because, you know, essentially now it's been such a big conversation. And that's the part I didn't want to do. It's been such a big conversation that people who didn't plan on going, went just so they can be part of the conversation. And that's the part where 
I, I like say, okay, that that's going too far, you know. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Lexi. I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, I will be anxiously waiting to see what movie you're going to announce. Uh, I know you can't talk about it now, but I'll be waiting by my Twitter feed to see which movie. Yes, and I'm gonna, to I'm gonna start uh, listening to your podcast from now on. Oh no, thank you. Yes, please do. We would love it. Uh, it's quite entertaining. I usually have two other co-hosts with me, but I am in a different location today, so uh, they're not around. But uh, yeah, oh, we do cool. appreciate you coming on, um, and this has been awesome to be able to do this with you, and I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, let me know when this uh, comes out, and then I'll tweet it out. All right. Thank you very much, Lexi. Bye-bye. Sounds good. Take care. Bye. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.